Well, we come to the final end of Romans chapter 16. And, um, you know, the entire Bible is the word of God. But not all of the Bible is equal in importance. In other words, the genealogy in Genesis 5 is not as important as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And of course, the genealogy in Genesis 5 had much more influence on the people of that time and, and then the years and even hundred years following. But now, the thousand years later, we, we read the names and they really don't have that much to speak to us, although there are some jewels uh, in every passage of Scripture. But yet we, we teach verse by verse of the Bible. We don't necessarily spend the same amount of time on the Bible on some passages as we were the other, just simply because they're not as important. But, you know, it, it is so important that we go line upon line, as Jesus said in Isaiah, precept upon precept, that we go through all the counsel of God, all the scriptures. And some of the passages are exciting and, and uh, thrilling, and every verse speaks to us powerfully, but... You know, if we were just in a topical teaching church, <clears throat> we would never get Romans 16 into a topical sermon. It just wouldn't happen. It would be not something that never was taught. But yet there's so many deep jewels in here that we really don't want to miss. And so if we're willing to dig, <clears throat> then we will find them. And I'm so grateful that there's thousands of people here at Calvary Chapel San Diego that are more than willing to dig. Uh, even through, not the genealogy here, but the list of names. <clears throat> and what we learn just right up front in Romans 16 is people are important. The Apostle Paul mentions 26 people here in this chapter, 24 by name. But if you look at all the epistles, it's over 100 people that Paul names and says, let me tell you about this guy. That's pretty amazing that Paul had these pocket of people that just radically spoke into his life at various times and in various ways and, uh, and how thankful he was to God for them. And I'm sure all of us have the same story. So we jump in here to chapter 16. And it says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant. That word servant is the word deacon or deaconess here. We don't see women as elders in the church, but we do see women as deaconesses in the church. Uh, elder is, is that of a teaching leader. A deacon is that of a, a leader taking care of all the physical issues uh, going on in the church to minister to the saints. And it says she's of the church in Centria. Since Tria is the northern border of Corinth. And so it's believed that Paul wrote this letter from, that, from Corinth. And Phoebe here is the one who is delivering the letter to uh, the, the saints in Rome. And so it says that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Receive her as if you were receiving the chiefest of all Christians. And a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. 
man, wouldn't you just love to be noted in history as a person who was a helper of Paul? That's pretty cool. Going to get to heaven and hear Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe. Romans 16. Yeah, you helped out Paul. Yeah, I did. Wow, that's so cool. And then we have a list of a couple here in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. In, in Romans 18, we, we find out that these guys also were tent makers, <clears throat> like Paul. And Paul went alongside them. They either were, they were Christians or, or weak Christians, but Paul began to disciple them. And they became mighty uh, man and wife team. And in fact, matter of fact, most of the time, um, the wife's name is mentioned first. And so it appears that the woman, probably the A-type personality, it's amazing how people get that way, don't you? You got the A and the B-type personality, get two A-type personalities, they kill each other. But uh, uh, actually, it's not true. I, I found that people of similar temperaments get along really great in marriage. But either way, we end up that way. And so here, she's sort of this dynamic person, and he's sort of more of the quiet type that just is there faithfully serving. But this husband and wife, they came and found a guy who was a mighty speaker by the name of Apollos, and he was radically preaching Christianity, but it wasn't doctrinally quite correct. And so they pulled him aside and discipled him for a time, and he became one of the greatest speakers, uh, preachers, evangelists of that time. <clears throat> Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Pahanitas, who is the first fruits of Achaia in Christ. So in Paul's first missionary journey, he remembers the first person that came to Christ. And there's always a dear, dear spot in your heart of the first person you led to the Lord. And, and no doubt he was dear to Paul and Paul was dear to him. And they had this sort of unique, precious relationship uh, over the fact that he was the first fruits uh, of Paul's ministry in the Achaia area. And um, then it says, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Notice how many women names are here? You know, Christianity, wherever it goes, it elevates the status of women. And that's the one thing we can see through church history. Almost every culture suppresses women uh, down to virtually nothing. But Christianity comes and says, no, you're equal partners in Christ. You're, you're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, kneeling before Christ. And we're all equally as valuable uh, in what you have to share in your prayers or what the Lord's speaking to you. And it's one of the nice benefits of Christianity uh, blessing a culture to see women liberated. But nine out of the 17, nine women and 17 men are mentioned uh, in this chapter and here he mentions these people that he knows that are there in Rome, people that he's ministered to along the way, bumped along in the way, and they're now in Rome. And, and so before he even gets to the church in Rome, there's a whole pile of people that are probably leaders there in the church as well that he knows. And he's saying, you know, telling them by name. And so you can just sort of <clears throat> sense the people, you know. Uh, Apionitas, who is the first church of Achaia. That's me, that's me. Oh, wow, you know. 
Then Mary, Mary, that's me. 25 ladies, raise their hand. Um, it's speaking to all of you um, who labored much for us. There's just a, a special thing happening. And greet Andronicus and Hunia, my countrymen. That word can be just people from Israel, or it can also mean his relatives. We don't know. And my fellow prisoners, they spent time in the prison together. According to church history, Paul was in prison seven different times. And so one of those imprisonments, they were thrown in with Paul. My fellow prisoners, who of note, notice, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, we, we often think about this for a moment, but we have 12 apostles, don't we? And yet, in Acts, we just basically have mention of Peter for a short time up to around chapter 10, and then he sort of disappears out of the story, and the rest is the apostle Paul, who wasn't an apostle. <laughs> he says, I was born out of due time, and he received direct revelation uh, from Jesus. He did, spine, he did spend three years with Jesus in the Arabian desert, but it was uh, by revelation, not by walking and talk with Jesus in the flesh. And so it's sort of funny. What about all these other apostles? Well, you can read in church history, they also went and had just as dynamic as ministries. But what about that first day of Pentecost when Peter preached 3,000 souls were saved? What about those guys? Well, here's some of them. Andronicus and Hunia, the apostles note them. This can be read in a few different ways. It could be they are noted equal to apostles. It could mean they are apostles. Or it could mean that the apostles know their name very, very well because they were so intricate there in Jerusalem, the first group of Christians together. And... uh, but you think of those 3,000 people that got saved. And then a few days later, remember the crippled guy by, by the gate called Beautiful. And, and there Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus rise up. And he started walking, leaping and praising God. And everybody in the temple was up in arms and he came and, and Peter says, hey, don't look at me. As if by my power this happened. This has happened in the name of Jesus. And he preached the gospel. 5,000 people were saved on that day. That's not counting all the days in and around. But we know two separate moments in time, 3,000 and 5,000 people were saved. It was an incredible time. What happened with all those believers? You know, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to probably spend the first million years just watching the videos on these guys, you know? You know, hey, Bartholomew, let's, let's see. Where did you go, Bartholomew? Wow, whoa, you know? And, uh, okay, let's start working on, got done with the apostles. Let's start working on those those believers, the third, first 3,000 believers, you know, no doubt these people are dynamic people taking the word of God and the miracles of God, signs and wonders, following them as, as they preach the word as well. And here we see these people that were Christians before Paul was a Christian. And Paul was saved not too far after Jesus raised from the dead. Remember, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest and maybe even kill Christians. And the beam of light came and uh, knocked... Uh, Paul right down where he was at and the Lord began to speak to him and, and he was converted there. And then um, it goes on in verse 8, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. And so here again, how would that affect Amplius? It's like, oh man, thank you, Paul. That so blesses me. You know, I feel like nobody loves me sometimes. I had a brother come up after first service and he just said, man, I need a hug. And he's just 
burly weightlifting guy, you know, and I'm just like, don't hurt me. Okay, come here. And we just gave each other a hug, and I was like, man, I needed one too. And it just, just held on and just, just hugged each other. It was just healing. And that's what I think this does when Paul says to Amplius, you're my beloved. Oh, I want to sorry, there right now to give you that big giant hug. I love you, man. How dear it is. How wonderful the family of God, isn't it? You know, if you're on the fringe of the church, man, you're missing out. Come all the way in. Be like these people here, helpers, ministers, laborers, opening their house, beloved. These people that are of note because they're involved in each other's lives. Not coming just for a sermonette for the Christianettes and out the door we go. But, but to be involved in one another's lives. How powerful we see this. And then greet Urbanus. It's exactly like it sounds. It, the, the word is city boy. <laughs> He's not a countryman. He's a city man. He loves the city. He's our fellow worker in Christ. And Statius, my beloved. And then greet Amplais, approved in Christ. You know, I, I don't know what's going on here. I believe that, well, we know that Paul was just not writing of himself. But the Bible says all scripture is written that through the Holy Spirit using the vessel of a man. And so Paul, yes, he's writing with his knowledge and his understanding. But the Holy Spirit is really getting out his message. And so in essence, it's not just Paul saying, hey, you're approved in Christ. It's the Lord saying, you're approved in me. And, you know, so often I find, and not just a few, but many people are, are just sort of down on themselves. They just sort of like, man, I just can't do anything right, and, and I'm such an idiot, and, you know, I, this world would be better off without me. I should just kill myself. I mean, I, I hear these kind of things sometimes, and, and it's just, what makes you feel that way? And they go through their list of things, and, and I'm saying, you're seeing through jaded glasses. It's the opposite that's true. And you start pointing out the blessings they are to people. And they're like, yeah, but that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, that's not so much. And yeah, I do that, but nobody really cares. And it's like, you have no idea. <laughs> You're very important. In your eyes, it's a little thing. It's not a little thing. It's a huge thing. And you are blessing many. And guess what? I know you're sort of doubting your salvation and doubting whether anybody likes you and doubting whether you're of any value. You know, I think this word today obviously was not just for one person in history. It's for many, many people over the 2,000 years it's been. And many of you this morning are a place and God is saying to you, you're approved in me. It's just a matter of time until you step before those pearly gates and hear those words from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. What's the Bible say? Rejoice in the Lord, how? Always, in everything, what? Give thanks. I mean, think about it. Would you you have your six-year-old son sitting on the couch and his face is down, he looks all depressed? Why aren't you out playing with the other kids? They don't like me playing. Well, what, do you, what makes you think that? Nobody likes me. I'm such a screw-up. I should, I should just be dead. You know, I'm such a hassle for you and dad. I just always, 
you know, I'm messing up. You had to get on to me two, twice today. You had to spank me yesterday. And you gave me a timeout the day before. I'm always doing it. I'm just a mess up every day. It'd be better if I wasn't here. How many of your parents would rejoice in that, that ex- existence of your child? Wouldn't that just grieve you as a parent? What do you think it does to God <laughs> when you have that attitude towards God? He's giving you of his son. He's giving you of all the love that he's had. Well, I'm always struggling and sinning. Where your sin abounds, his grace abounds more. I don't know if he even loves me. His love is so great, it conquers everything. <laughs> Life, death, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. You are more than a conqueror through his love for you. He's got you in his hand. He's not going to let you go. Go. You know, God has done everything for us to just say, you know, earth is a trial, but I'm going to heaven and I'm approved in Christ. I may not be approved anywhere else, but I'm approved in Christ. And how the Lord wants that just to pierce many of your hearts today. That's a word from God to you this day. In the second part of verse 10, greet those who are with the household of Aristobulus. We have five different house churches that are mentioned here. Typically, the churches met in large congregations. And, and according to church history, many of these congregations were hundreds of thousands of people. And it was a difficult thing, especially in Rome where Christianity was outlawed. And so they would meet together in groups the best they could. But the, on a regular basis, they would meet in the house churches uh, undercover. And there they had leaders Uh, like pastors who would tend to the flock. And it's very much the way we do it today. Uh, We meet here and then we have home Bible studies. And it's always amazing to see how close people get in those home Bible studies. And I know this last season we were going through the Truth Project and heard just so many amazing things, how people were so deeply impacted. And and, uh, we're starting to back up in in, uh, January, February. I hope you guys get in. If you haven't been in, it's it's a biblical thing, but it's also just practically a wonderful thing to be near and dear to people. Yeah, you've got to share in their suffering, but they share in your suffering. And you also get to share in their joy as they share in your joy. Then it goes on to say in verse 11, Greet Herodian, my countryman. This is take from the word Herod. So somehow this guy was a relative of Herod the Great, yes, the one who tried to kill Jesus at his birth. And, and so uh, what we have here is down the line, at some point he was a relative, and he might have been a relative of Paul's as well, at least from Israel, probably one of his cousins or something. And in verse 11, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And then greet Typhinia and Tryphosa. According to church history, these were actually twin sisters, Tryphinia and Tryphosis, who have labored in the Lord. Just, I'm picturing these guys, they're just always there. Every first one there, the last one to leave, always just picking up and cleaning up and serving and ministering and sharing Bible verses and always there to feed the poor and to minister to people. And they're just they're, they're these twin sisters that just radically labor uh, in the Lord. And I know a couple of sisters like that on almost every continent. (laughs) 
And it's really neat, these twin sisters that just, together, you know, they, they don't even have to finish a sentence. They know what each other are thinking, and they're just together, just a powerhouse of ministers. And one of them is a pastor's wife now. And then they say there's a third sister, her by the name of Persisus. Greet the beloved Persisus, who labored much in the Lord. So the two twin sisters, man, they labored. But their other sister, Persisus, she labored much. So she went above and beyond the call of duty. And boy, we have some Persisus here in our congregation. And, oh, it, you know, it's, at times it's not even what they do. It's just their attitude. They're so willing to give of themselves. It's just healing. It's just such a blessing. It, it humbles you and, 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 and you just feel so cared for and loved. You don't feel like, oh, I'm having to clean up after you and all this is a mess. This is horrible. I have to do this and that because you guys are all a bunch of idiots. And, you know, it's not that at all. She's beloved. She's this dear sister out of love, out of kindness. Her two sisters have an A. <laughs> She's got an A++. You know, there's just something about her. And, and boy, I love those people that are in the spirit. It's amazing how they affect so many. It's like in a, in a church as large as ours, this one person seems to be touching every single aspect of people in our church. And so many people know them. It's just amazing. And it wasn't because they got up to sing or speak. It's because when they needed that giant bowl of soup when they were sick, they were, there they were at your door with a giant bowl of soup. And, you know, they heard that you needed some help watching your kids. They were there to help watch your kids. And that time when you were really down, they just came up and said, God's given me this verse for you. And it was just the perfect word in season. And just, just people, they're just blessing above and beyond the call of duty. And um, then we go on. It says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. In Mark chapter 15, in verse 21, it says, Then they compelled a certain man, Simeon, a Cyrenian. He's from northern Africa. A father of Alexander, and notice here, Rufus, as he was coming out of the country, passing by to bear his cross. So you know the story, Jesus is carrying the cross, but he has been beaten so many days and not given anything to eat or drink. He's dehydrated and he finally just collapses. And the Romans pick out a man. And who did they pick out? They picked out a black man. And here's this black man thinking, man, I'm always being singled out because of the color of my skin. And here I'm being ordered to pick this thing up and people are spitting on him and cursing him and ripping his beard out and this is dangerous. So that horizontal part of the cross, the patabulum, he picks it up, it's all sweaty and bloody and he puts it on himself and now the blood's smeared all over him and he's catching some of the spit that's aimed for Jesus and he's getting a couple of the rocks that are aimed for Jesus and he's getting all the people screaming in his face as well as Jesus. And he's just like, oh, this is a nightmare. I can't wait till it's over. And finally they come to Golgotha and he's able to dump the thing off. And he's sort of in shock, sort of watching this. They start nailing Jesus to the cross. And and he was there. And we don't have the full story, but he became a believer. 
he was not, not only did he know Jesus now, he carried that bloody cross. And he realized the impact of it. You know, I was talking with a brother this week who is just a, is a wonderful Christian, loves the Lord, a great man of character. <clears throat> but he has been bombarded these last couple of years. And he keeps getting these sharp right turns and left turns and just every way. He's just Satan stomping on him, just trying to get him to quit. But every time he comes up with such a godly character and And he was telling me, he goes, you know, every time I get through that tunnel of hardship, I look back to where I came from or where I am, and I saw there is no other road to get to where I'm at now except through that road. I could not choose that for my kids. But I'm so glad that my Heavenly Father is stronger than me and chose that for me. And we begin to swap stories of how that's so true. Things that we think are just going to crush us that are horrible. Can't wait till it's over and we get back and not every time, but sometimes the Lord lets us see and we're like, that wasn't a curse at all. It was hard. It was difficult. It was painful. But what a blessing it was. And we talked about King David, you know, here as a young boy, he's anointed king to, to be Israel and he ends up through a process of time marrying the king's daughter, And before he knows it, he's sitting at the king's table as one of his own sons, the generals of the army. David just loved Saul and was so loyal to him, but Saul was just tweaked in his brain. And he thought David was trying to overthrow him. The opposite was true. And he picked up his spear and threw at David, and David had to to run away. And David ended up running away for 22 and a half years, 15 years in the caves and and in the Philistine land, but he got 400 mighty men, a bunch of nobodies who were in debt and were sort of criminals, and, and then 200 more later, 600. And it says these guys, through David's leadership, became not only mighty men of valor, they became mighty men of God. And now David comes into the country as king, but he can't sit in Jerusalem for seven and a half years. There's a civil war going on. Finally, after 22 and a half years, he comes And he sits on the throne in Jerusalem. And that guy that left Jerusalem 22 and a half years later (laughs) was no longer in existence. Now that David had sat upon the throne who had wrote so many psalms, had become so incredibly deep in the Lord, was able to take Israel to the heights that Israel has ever seen. He passed it off to Solomon, but the, the kingdom that David had conquered and and attained to is greater than anyone in Israel's history. And we think, you know, what kind of king David would have been had he just been cruising around Jerusalem and fighting a couple battles and, you know, being a celebrity around town versus being this man having to walk by faith and just, you read about in the Psalms, just many tears, many hardships, many difficulties. And we just praise God, you know, that He's not concentrating on our life being without pain and suffering. He's concentrating on our character. And here's this Rufus, who now as he goes step by step through the years, he begins to realize that wasn't a curse at all. I was chosen by God in one of the greatest roles a person can ever play on earth. I was able to be side by side with Jesus 
and carrying his cross. Yes, I was bloody and sweaty and spit upon and screamed at. I don't care. I was able to bear the cross, not figuratively later on, take up my cross and follow Jesus. I was able to bear his cross. What an incredible thing. Well, we read here as Mark was a gospel written later, it actually mentions his two sons who also now were noted ministers of God, Alexander and Rufus. But you know, Rufus, he is chosen in God as much as his dad Simeon was chosen in God. But you know, the earth didn't open up, the sky didn't open up, you know, he didn't have an angel speak to him. And probably Alexander had this radical supernatural moment where he knew he was called to be a minister. But here's Rufus going, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to preach. I don't feel much like a pastor. You know, people tell me they're blessed when they hear me. And, you know, I, I think maybe I'm supposed to do this. And I think sometimes I'm not supposed to do this. You, you, you know, let me tell you a secret. I have never felt like a pastor, ever. <laughs> and when people ask me, well, should I call you Pastor Brian? He's like, no, 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 Brian, please. And I've talked to my friends, Greg and Brian Parrish and John Wayne and all these guys that are mighty men of God and pastors. I'm like, when did you start feeling like a pastor? It's like, I'm still waiting. I just, I just feel like I'm a servant of God and I'm just so blessed to declare his word. That's, that's it. I'm just a, a simple Christian getting to speak in front of all these incredible people. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad I don't, feel like, well, now I need to put on the white collar and, you know, get a slick haircut, you know, and start wearing a tie everywhere or whatever. I'm, I'm glad. I just feel like a regular Christian. I think Rufus was going that. And, and Paul is affirming him and saying, Rufus, you may not have had a dynamic moment like your dad and maybe your brother did, but you are equally chosen in the Lord. God can speak in a still, small voice as well as he can in the earthquake. He doesn't need some mighty rushing wind. He can speak in a a still, small breeze. And then notice what he says here. And his mother and mine, Simeon's wife, she's still alive. And Paul is saying, man, I'm part of the family. She's my mom too. You know, I got to go to Africa a few years back. You guys heard Steve Kachango a few weeks ago. He's the one who picked us up from the airport. But I was with a, a group of pastors. I can't remember exactly how many, five, six, seven. And as we were coming in to land in Africa, we were still in the air, maybe a half an hour away. I just had this overcoming feeling of coming home. I, I can't explain it. And I just began to weep, and I began embarrassed about it. But the tears were just pouring out and pouring out. I'm trying to hide it. And I look and all the guys with me were also weeping the same way. And uh, later we, we took notes and we're like, why were you weeping? I don't know. I just felt like I was coming home. Every one of us had the same experience. And I've talked to a number of other pastors had the same exact experience. And then uh, Steve Kachango picked us up and took us to his house. And I can't explain it to you. It was, it was, the gift of hospitality like I've never sensed it. They, they just, I can't experience it. It was just, it was like coming home. Their love and their care and their, 
just wanted us to be so blessed and we were beyond blessed. And it wasn't what they did. It wasn't anything. It was just the spirit of the place and it was just so holy and, and they prayed about everything and, and uh, you know, you met Steve Kachango. The guy is just a, a comedian as well. He's just a crack up and all his kids are that way and his daughters, just beautiful Christian people and all the guys with me had the same exact experience and when we left, it was like our heart was ripping. It was the most amazing experience. And every time I see, see Steve and, and his family, the same experience happens. There's such a deep love there. And uh, I've only known him a short time. And I, I sort of think that maybe this is what Paul was experiencing. You know, Paul was ripped away from his family when he became a Christian. And when you're traveling man and traveling where Christ has never been preached before every once in a while you just need to feel that sense of home you know what I'm talking about and you just walk in there just like oh this is my couch this is my house there's my mom there's my brother you know ah I'm just it's so healing and I know Paul is longing for that moment of refreshment to to be at home with with mom and the bros and to enjoy that sweet fellowship. And then in verse 14, greet um, these other wonderful guys, uh, their brethren with them. And then there's some other uh, couple of guys and, and his sister. Don't you hate it when you forget names? It's the most amazing thing. You get to know people, you've known them for 20 years, and you look at them and you're like, I've said your name for the last 20 years. I can't remember it now. Let me tell you, it gets really scary getting old. It really does. And, and I hate when that happens. I, I remember uh, years ago, I was on uh, quite a bit on To Every Man and Answer, and I would be with Chuck Smith. And one week, I was with him every single day. And on Friday, he's going, hi, this is Chuck Smith. And, and um, oh, my goodness, what is your name again? Brian Newberry, where are you from again? Like, Chuck, I've been with you every day this week. He goes, don't make fun of me. You'll be there someday. <laughs> At that point, he was 70 years old and a little above that. And, and I was just trying to think, how could, how could you be with a guy every single day and forget? Now I know. I totally understand that. And it's, it's so embarrassing. And here Paul is naming all these people, all these real, you know, five-syllable names. And all of a sudden, he can't remember this Guy's sister name, you know, what do we do when we're praying? Lord, bless Bob, and I know he's going through this, and Jack, and, um, um, and bless this lady next to him. I can't remember her name. Oh, we don't do that, do we? Just, and bless the sister, and, you know, and, and bless. It's, it's just a horrible feeling. Let's, let's just all agree together to not be offended when we can't remember each other's names, okay? It doesn't mean we love you less. It just... It's just uh, we need some kind of vitamin that has not yet been discovered. I don't know. Well, anyway, in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. In in Luke, Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee who had brought him in to try to trip Jesus up. He wasn't Jesus' friend by any means. He invited him to lunch and he sat down and he was eating. And this woman was overcome with worship, and she came and she began to wipe, wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And, 
And this Simon began to think, if this were truly a holy man, he would not let this sinful woman touch him. And Jesus knew the thoughts, had a word of knowledge. And he said, Simon, when I came in here, you didn't wash my feet. You did everybody, the rest of your guests. You gave me no kiss, but you did everyone else. So it was customary to give a kiss in this culture. And I'll tell you what, in most cultures of the world, they do not shake hands. I don't know when the shaking the hand thing started, but it's not a good idea. You got this little Petri dish of germs, and i am got it in there all slimy. I'm going to put it with your Petri dish of germs. Ooh, we just invented some new germs, some super germs. And now I'm going to go over here and shake this guy's hands. Now we've got some, you know, super germs on steroids, and... Now I'm going to come and pat my kid on the head. Oh, they're sliding down your neck. And I, sometimes they're out there and I'm watching these, these kids, you know, even up to junior high and sometimes even high schoolers. And, you know, they don't know anybody's watching. They're picking their nose. Same finger now in ear, digging. Oh, they just found something on the ground. They picked it up. Oh, they threw it down. I'm not sure what that was. Same hand they grabbed in eating a donut. Dropped the donut, picked it back up. Something slimy is hanging from the donut. And here they come. Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, you know. And I'm like, ah, let me give you a hug. Just word to the wise. Anybody junior high and younger, hug. Do not shake their hand for, for health's sake. But, you know, most of the world, they're doing the bowing thing, you know, or they're doing the kissing. And, you know, I like both of those. You know, the kiss thing, you know, you, you, you actually go for the cheek, but you don't even t- really, sort of in the air. Sometimes you actually touch your cheek a little bit, but it's in the air a little bit. Now, it's fun as older people, they, they actually do kiss you. They, they think, oh, you're all, oh, my kid. And so the older people, they'll give you a big slobber on their cheek, you know. And it's a fun thing. And then go to the Arab cultures, and the men and the women do not give each other any kind of holy kiss or any kind of kiss. But the guys will kiss the guys, and the women will kiss the women. But they just give you a big slobbery kiss on your cheek. There it is, and another one on the other cheek. And it's probably why they have beards. Catch the saliva before it comes down. I don't know. But uh, you know what? I've I got to admit, in, in those cultures... When they're, they're giving you the kiss, it, you really do feel more welcomed. You really do feel loved. And uh, it's in the Bible, guys. There's no shaking hands in the Bible. All I'm asking is, let's do the holy thing. Total purity. Total purity. But, uh, you know, again, I, I, when I go to um, Hungary, you know, it's, the girls come and you sort of link elbows to elbows and you sort of kiss on the outside there and you do it twice go to Serbia it's three times and if you don't know it you end up bonking your heads and they always know who the Americans are the dumb Americans don't know how to kiss and so they're you know got to watch out you might get a concussion if you welcome too many of them but after you've been there a while you, you get to know who's Hungarian who's Serbian and who gets two and who gets three and it works out but it's biblical, but also very, very sanitary. I'm just saying that, that God's way is usually a physical, healthier way as well. So, you know, it's so funny after 
service, last service, several guys came up and shook my hand and they said, oh, I'm supposed to hug you instead. And they gave me a hug after I got their Petri dish. But, you know, I, I walk by faith and I go wash my hands immediately before I touch anything. But um, anyway, that's, we're done with that verse. Um, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note or mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid or excommunicate them. In Proverbs, it says there's six things that God hates in Proverbs 6. Yea, there's a seventh that is an abomination to God. What is that seventh one? Proverbs six nineteen to bring division amongst God's people. And so he says, when you have people that are coming in and they're contrary to the doctrine which you've learned from us, make a note of them. Probably rebuke them, warn them, do the Matthew 18 of of, uh, chastisement, and if they don't listen, to, to kick them out of the church. And he goes on in verse 18, he gives some more interesting information. For those who are such, listen to this, underline this, do not... Serve our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some people just don't mature in the Lord. Some people very quickly just eat up the word and are at every church service and in every discipleship and they're just growing and growing and growing and then there sort of comes a plateau but they're still growing and there's some people that just sort of grow and then they just sort of plateau. Now they've been a Christian 10, 20 years but they're really not solid in God. They're not solid in doctrine and So when these guys come, they seem like great men of character, great men of intelligence. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, why are you guys tripped up over these false teachers? You know that Satan himself comes as an angel of light. So how much more the false prophets are also going to come as an angel of light? It says that Satan, Lucifer, was the chiefest of all of God's creation. Wow. Think about a waterfall or the vastness of an ocean or those little tiny fish in the ocean. The colors are just, just so radical and so many of them. They just blow your mind in beauty. If Lucifer appeared, his, his wings would no doubt fill this place and multicolored and, and we would all just be in awe like... It's the biggest light show we've ever seen. And his countenance and his face would be, we'd be overwhelmed with his beauty. His wisdom would sound deep and great. He quotes all the Bible. It wouldn't seem like he's a bad guy at all. It would seem like he's a heavenly being when he's actually a hellish being. And this is why you can't go with appearance. We have the spirit of God living in us. We have to discern with the spirit. But young believers, they can't, they just get overwhelmed with, well, this guy's a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. He's a professor and he knows Greek, he knows Hebrew. And man, he spoke this and he studied here and he talked to some guys in Jerusalem and he they said that they said this. And wow, it's different than what our pastor's teaching. And, and you know what? He says, they're not from the Lord. Now, let me just stop on another point. Is there are a lot of secondary issues, peripheral issues, and we don't all agree on it here. 
And that's okay. They're not issues of salvation. There's issues on various customs or methods or um, various interpretations of, of secondary doctrinal issues. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I fellowship with Baptist pastors and Assembly of God pastors and Foursquare pastors and, you know, Methodist pastors. I mean, we, we all love to talk about the things of God and the things that we agree upon. And that's what we share with what God's doing and speaking to our life. We know we don't agree on those peripheral issues, so we don't bring them up. And that's maturity. Sometimes we bring it up just to tease each other, but... but um, it's, it's a sweet fellowship, and there's no division there. And it's really immaturity, and the devil's using somebody if there's, you know, uh, like pre-trib. We, we are pre-trib. We believe that after we're raptured, the tri- seven-year tribulation period begins. Well, all other positions are somewhere in the tribulation or after the tribulation before we ascend into heaven, or there is no rapture at all. And so when I study through it, whatever position I study on, I agree with all of them. And I'm like, I can't agree with all of them, but they're all so right. I'm like, oh, this is the one. Wow, man, that's it. I read the next one. That's the one. I'm sure that's the one. Man, all of them have such good points. I I am confident in pre-trib position. And I have people that think they're going to move me. You've got to understand, I studied this stuff out in great detail, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last year. It's not, I didn't come to this decision because, you know, they have the prettiest posters, you know. Um, I know why I believe what I believe. You're not going to change me. But you believe something different? That's fine. We have leaders in our church sometimes that have difference in beliefs and on these peripheral issues. It's, it's not an it's not unusual thing here at all. But they want to make it the main thing, the center thing. They want that to be the reason we exist as a church, and it's not. We teach through the Bible. And you know, the neat thing about studying the whole, every verse of the Bible, it's not only do we study all the counsel of God, but we study it to the amount that God wants. So if the end times comes up once, then that's all we teach it in 10 years once. If it comes up at 30 times, we teach it 30 times. If marriage comes up 10 times, then we teach it 10 times. However many it comes up, that's what we teach. So it's not only the whole counsel of Scripture, but in the, in the priority and in the amount God has given what to be emphasized. And so again, our, our leaders know, and so many of you have been with us so long, we, we, the red flags go up. As soon as we hear this guy in pride and on his hobby horse and trying to bring people aside. I know, I know Pastor Brian taught this this morning, but let me, let me show this verse to you and this verse to you. And, and you know, and, uh, you know what? It doesn't matter if they're right. They're, they're wrong in causing division. And this is not of the Lord. But I can prove it to you. It's right, it's right. You know, we may get to heaven and God said, Brian, you were wrong on that point. And the guy you kicked out of church, he was right on that point. It's possible. But either way, he was wrong in bringing division in the church. So that is the priority, that we'd all keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is right up there on the top of God's priority list that we would remain in the same love, of the same heart, of the same mind. And, you know, through the years, I've changed my positions on, on many different things. I mean, not drastically, but little, little tweaks here and there that I've grown. I'm, I'm always open to hear uh, what anybody has to say. 
But when they turn in that way to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure everybody knows the truth and not what you're teaching them. You know what, that's, that's a divisive spirit. That's an abomination to God that you would want to con- you know, divide and conquer the body. The most important thing for us as sheep is that we continue to eat and grow and we'll all come up as the Lord speaks to us uh, differences on, on secondary issues, but not on major, major issues. And again, how do they suck these people in? Because by their smooth words and their flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You've got to realize these guys are good. There are guys out there that can sell ice to an Eskimo. And they, they, can, they can size you up and they can see, oh, I need to flatter him this way. Oh, you know what? I notice Brian doesn't let you preach from the pulpit very much or ever. You're one of the best teachers here. Why doesn't he do that? Well, you know, that's right. Yeah, Brian should acknowledge me more. He, he knows what buttons to push, you see. And then he knows how to, to bring it around and to dazzle it uh, in such a way to maybe uh, give you some money or give you a present or in some way to hook you into his camp. So as we cover these verses, there are many places, guys, we cover this topic. That's why I don't feel like I have to cover it fully today. But hopefully as you listen to this in the future, when you see this pattern, bing, 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 the red flags will go up and you realize uh, this is a divisive man. And in verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Guys, don't underestimate your obedient life. You know, I I know Christians are like, ah, if I live a little compromising, who's going to care? It's not going to affect anybody. No, you don't understand. Our obedient life, it's a light to the world. It's a salt to the earth. And yeah, you may only see the one domino you hit, but guess what? That domino hit one and another one and another one, and you didn't affect just a handful of people by what you did or said or not did or not said. But you have affected thousands. And it's just an amazing small how our earth is. And I've, I've heard... Uh, things that I've said to somebody and I've had somebody in another country on the other side of the world say, hey, there was this guy that said this, this, this. I'm going, wow, that was me. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's, it's traveling around the world. It's, it's amazing. Don't underestimate the power of a holy, obedient, non-compromising life with Jesus. There, second part of verse 19, therefore I am gl- uh, glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and what? Simple or ignorant concerning evil. Boy, I could go off on that, but it's so important to, to remain innocent and ignorant concerning the worldly stuff that's going on. And I know sometimes parents say, well, I don't want to let my kid live in this isolated life and I want him to know what's going on so he's not shocked by the world when he gets older. You know what? An 18-year-old can be, handle the things of the world a little better than six-year-olds. And I hope you can keep them innocent and pure as long as you can. That they're just ignorant of what the cool language is or the latest thing on MTV or wh- whatever it is that's making them impure. Guys, guard the little innocent minds and hearts. Protect them. God wants yours also to be protected. And in verse 20... And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Amen to that? The Lord's seeing the day. It's not very long. 
that we're going to be looking down on this one who's crushed and it says he's going to look like a worm and all the nations of the world will say, that's the one that caused such terror? That's the one that brought such fear? He's nothing but a worm. And we're going to crush that worm under our feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. First conclusion. Second conclusion. Now, he's going to talk about the guys that are with him. His son in the faith, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sopater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, uh, Tertius, who wrote this letter, or this epistle, greet you in the Lord. There's one way to get yourself in the Bible. Write yourself in. Paul's going on, verse 23, and he's like, I'm the guy writing the letter. And in verse 23... Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you. And Quartus, a brother, greet you. Notice here what's going on. Tertus is, means three, <laughs> the third. When they would take in slaves, they would demoralize them by not even giving them names. You're slave number one, number two, number three, number four. And so you have slave number three, and then at the end of that verse, Quartus, slave number four, And who are they sitting right next to in the church? The treasurer of the city. You know, all the walls are broken down in Christ. And it's such a beautiful thing when you have the rich and the poor in one ethnicity next to the next nationality. The young with the old. It's just all broken down. And how we can come without a critical spirit, a fault-finding spirit, Spirit, and just come with a gracious spirit to just accept and to love and, and to bless. There's, we should just be this giant house of healing. <laughs> we should be able to come in here and just get loved and, and bless, be blessed by the old and the young and the poor and the rich and the educated and the uneducated in Christ. All these things are broken down and we all just become children before the throne of God. And in verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Second conclusion. Now for number three and final conclusion. Verse 25. Now to him who's able to keep, uh, to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation and the mystery kept secret since the world began. If you go back into the book of Genesis, we begin to see the thread, begin to weave of the coming of Christ. There in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God's giving them the curses. And he says about being pregnant and being painful, but then he says to Eve, however, your seed will crush his head. The woman doesn't have a seed. The man has a seed. In this case, God has the seed. It speaks of the virgin birth of the Messiah, and he is the one who's going to conquer sin. So right now, Adam and Eve, I see you in the first sin, but right now I can also see the final sin. And one day through the first sin, the first person who ever sinned, Eve, you're from your lineage, the destroyer of sin will come. And here we see out all through the gospel, Abraham offering up Isaac, 
all these various things, the mystery been kept secret, but now, in verse 26, has been made manifest and the prophetic scripture made known to all the nations, all peoples everywhere, according to the commandment of the other everlasting God for obedience to the faith. All the scriptures have been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit that we might walk in a greater obedience than any generation before us. And here it ends now with a great worship to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And everybody said, amen. Lord, thank you as we've dug and found these precious jewels. You've told us that if we will labor and dig, we shall find. And boy, we found some today. And we know this isn't the most exciting passage of scripture, but it speaks of historicity. It speaks of people's names and houses and jobs and how they affected the body of Christ in the world. And it's the same with us. How so many of us here, Lord, affect one another so greatly and open our eyes to see how important every one of us, even if we're just a little toenail, we're important. And let all the hands and the feet realize that they have a ministry to take heed to that ministry and do it because we all need it. Lord, you'd put into our hearts to serve one another, to love one another, that we would all give of our tithes and offerings to, to see all the ministry that can be done here be done, that we would honor one another by praying for one another and, and recognizing and loving one another and knowing each other's names and speaking the word to each, one, each and every one of us. Lord, please, let what's happening here, as precious as it is, in this coming year be a thousand times more precious. And let us bring many to obedience and to the faith just by our existence and our love and our faith and our fruitfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Here's a tip for you. Come early tonight. We have 15 minutes of some wonderful music before it starts. Get a close seat while you can. All the children come in tonight. We're just going to have a great time. The whole thing's going to last about 45 minutes. Just going to be a fun family night together. Amen? See you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lord.